Hi, I'm Laura Schultz. Welcome to the second season of Starting to Feel Better, a podcast about mental health journeys, trauma, and creativity. I'm so excited for this season to have conversations with writers and musicians and painters and therapists, with folks who use creativity in the work that they do. I'm really excited to share my conversations with them, with you. Welcome to season two of Starting to Feel Better. So my name is Carissa Delestri. I am a mother in so many forms. I am a marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, a daughter, a partner, and just a human being trying to get through this. I love that, just a human being trying to get through this. That's super duper universal. Yeah. Where we're at. Yeah. A lot of your identity has to do with connection to other people as a daughter, as a partner, and then as your professional identity as well with connection to marriage and families and to especially children through play therapy. Absolutely. I just, the concept that we're relational human beings um, and that we're relational to our core, I've identified with that so much of my life, all of my life. Um, It's such a huge part of my work too. I wondered if you could share a little bit about your kind of professional trajectory or where you're at now and what led you to where you are in your professional role, education or obstacles or things you've experienced. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, and it's, I guess for me, those professional journeys are a little bit personal too. I mean, I started out um, straight out of high school. I had learned about art therapy and that's actually was my, that was my original traje- trajectory, um, so to speak. Um, so I went into my undergrad double majoring in art and psychology, uh, hoping to come hoping to attend an art therapy program for my master's program. Um, and then life happened. And I quit school. It was right after 9-11. Things felt weird. Things felt hopeless, chaotic. And so I stopped what I was doing um, in terms of my educational career. So lived a lot of life, some of it pretty hard. And that passion to help people just came back. Um, through all of that. And so when I moved forward again with school, um, I was limited at that point in time. I was a single mom. I was limited by what I could do and where I could go. I needed the support of my family. And so I went to into my undergraduate, still with that art background, thinking that I would head to art therapy. But around the time that I graduated from my bachelor's with a minor in psych, I um, discovered that the art therapy program I was going to be a part of had lost its accreditation. And that was important to me. I wanted to make sure what I was doing was felt very legit, wanting to make sure that I could get to where I was going with as few obstacles as possible. And that's right. why accreditation is so helpful. So when I moved forward on that, um, I just moved forward with the degree in counseling, with a master's in counseling. Lucky for me, I was also part of a program that had a play therapy certification, or at least play therapy classes to start that mm-hmm. certification process. 
So I had a wonderful professor who asked me to do a personal learning assignment, something he did often, that we make up on our own. And he mentioned, you know, you're into art therapy. What if you compared um, the cost and benefit analysis of art therapy to play therapy? I came to find that it was uh, more cost effective to become a play therapist. I see. That there's plenty of art to be utilized in the play world. And so I decided to move in that direction because I didn't, I couldn't go out of state for my art therapy education and still very much wanted to be working um, with kids and families in a creative way. Um, Creativity is a huge thing for me. Mm -hmm. And in my master's program, I had written my, you know, my final paper, my big literature review on the use of creativity to um, support trauma treatment. And that just solidified it for me that this is the area I needed to go into as something creative. So when I found out that play therapy was just as easy um, or easier, I should say, cost more cost effective, Mm -hmm. being a single mom, that made a lot of sense. Um, And that it could even widen to beyond art. I thought, man, why not? Um, The cool thing is, is about oh, I don't know, about four years after I graduated from that program, maybe five, I got the chance to meet Kathy Melchiotti. Now, she is like the big, like she's a big name in the art therapy world. She's written some of, some of some earlier publications about art therapy. And what was cool about that is she was actually at a play therapy conference and she was talking to us about how the difference between the art therapy world and the play therapy world seemed to support the play therapy world seemed to support play therapists, practicing clinicians in such a more in-depth way than in the art therapy world, mm-hmm. um, which was such a wonderful moment for me to meet someone that I had known about for years. Yeah. Somewhere I had kind of placed myself hoping to get to a place where I could meet or be like Kathy Melchiotti. And then she's, She's just basically confirming my journey up to that point. Yeah. Um, so it just came full circle that year. Um, it was just the coolest thing. Yeah. And I have just been enjoying play therapy ever since. Um, took a couple classes in my master's program. And then the rest of my time was spent taking a couple of CEUs to fulfill the educational requirements to be a play therapist. Mm-hmm course I had to get licensed as well had to I willingly would anyway got licensed as a marriage and family therapist because you need to be a licensed provider sure um and then and then I completed that education and the supervision requirements Mm -hmm. um with the support of my play therapy supervisor Mm -hmm. who was also my marriage and family therapy supervisor I kind of got a great deal out of that (laughs) and And yeah, was able to get my RPT, my registered play therapy credentials. Mm -hmm. And the rest has been history. It's been great. That's so cool. I think about especially the story with Kathy Malchiati, um, just such a validation there. Such a, yeah, like I'm doing something different from what I thought. And is that okay? And how do I feel about it? And then to have this hero Mm -hmm. say, yeah. 
you know, even that sense of like, gosh, I feel like, you know, sometimes to get to a different dream, we have to give up some old ones. And there is still some of that grief that goes with it. Like what would have happened had I gone down this route instead? Mm -hmm. It confirmed not only my journey and my career, but there's some personal decisions that had to be made in there. Or some of my career decisions were made based on my personal experience at the Mm -hmm. time. And so for everything for that moment to just come together and say, hey, You thought that maybe this was a real rocky, messy way to get there, but you got there. Yeah. It kind of just validated even those personal moments for me because, I mean, I I would not have and be the person I am today, have the life or be the person I am today without those experiences. Yeah. So it's just really cool Mm -hmm. to have someone, someone such a big deal as her be able to confirm like, you did the right thing. Like all those things that happened in your life, some of them you had no control over Mm -hmm. have led you to this place, which is actually the best place for you. It makes me think too about, as you said, this kind of creativity and that creativity being such a big part of your life and wanting to infuse everything that you do or inevitably everything that you do is infused by creativity, even the creativity of thinking, right? Like how can I achieve this goal? How can I make this happen? Maybe in a little bit of a different way. I'm, I have to think creatively about that in order to get there. Absolutely. I'm, the, the thing that keeps us from getting stuck when we hit obstacles is the creativity piece. Mm-hmm. Why I, I really do enjoy, even even if there's a bit of envy, I do enjoy watching what play therapists are doing right now amid yeah. the pandemic in right. settings because they're utilizing that creativity that's kind of at the core of what you do as a play therapist. Right. So it's just really cool to see. Yeah. People find a way to get unstuck mm-hmm. utilizing their skills and gifts. Yeah. In that way. Absolutely. When you talk about your kind of initial ideas for what the future would look like, and you talk about art therapy as something that you were sort of studying at the at the beginning, um, your degree in art and psychology, right, undergraduate? Yeah. I wonder about the way that creativity was showing up for you then. Was this visual art that you were interested in? Was this art history? What was what was interesting to you? Yeah, so mainly visual art. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the funny part is art history um, is probably the only way that history comes alive for me. So I really need those visual, mm-hmm. um, personal stories that come with art. Yeah. Um, in order to help me grow in areas that maybe I'd... <laughs> I'd much rather fall asleep in. History is <laughs> right. normally a snooze fest for me, but <laughs> if you tell me about the history of cathedrals or architecture or um, even modern art, it helps yeah. carry that story for me and mm-hmm. helps me retain yeah. um, of that. But the creative side of me has been there since day one. Yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense having gone through some of my own therapy and my own personal work Mm -hmm. Um, it makes so much sense to me why I've been creative so much of my life. Um, But yeah, art, um, physical, visual art. um, Mm -hmm. uh, I think the thing that probably plays a really large role in my work as a play therapist is actually my my time in theater Mm -hmm. in high school. 
playing a role plays such a large part of how I do play therapy. Yeah. Um, and kind of that improv, that creativity, that's yeah. um, just in that spur of the moment is huge in play therapy. In fact, even in um, the training I've received recently in child parent psychotherapy, they actually say like child psychotherapy is improv mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's definitely got play to it, but they, mention how it's like that when you're even when you're just working with a parent and you're not necessarily utilizing play in that moment mm-hmm. much improv becomes a part of your work as a therapist this kind of gets to another question that i had about play therapy which is that play can both be creative and fun and open us up but it's also in some ways very serious that mm-hmm. I I think maybe it was a quote that you brought to my attention, this Maria Montessori quote, play is the work of the child. Mm, And in working with you at my practicum, um, I was able to shadow you with some of your appointments with kiddos for play therapy. And I was so struck by and, you know, really moved by the seriousness, by the respect with which you treated your clients. And I really do want to credit you with this massive shift within me that occurred, which was um, kind of changing the way that I spoke to, interacted with my nieces and nephew, with my friends' kiddos. Mm-hmm. I, I wondered if you experienced a similar turning point in working with kids, in thinking about play, and when and where that came for you. That's a really good point. Um, Because it does strike me when I'm outside of my office, Mm -hmm. um, how kids are treated differently than adults. Um, And in my work and in my life, I I would say even personally, um, I take kids much more seriously, I think, than most others do. Um, Even in my own relationship with my partner, I can see that difference. Um, That kind of typical like oh kids are silly and they're frivolous and and absolutely they're silly and they're frivolous and they're wondering and they're curious and their brains are just growing monumentally I think the place that really solidified that for me is probably early on in my play therapy training the play therapy world has so many different approaches it's so cool because there are just so many different kinds of people. So it makes sense that you would have so many different kinds of play um, because play is the work of a child, every child. And so the framework that I came from, which is experiential play, is really huge on honoring a child's story. And when you think about kids as honoring you with their presence and what they have to offer, it's really hard to then not look at children with a little bit more reverence than you normally would. And I'm just fascinated by kids. They are just, they are, they're lacking some filters I enjoy (laughs) in life. They're just amazing, amazing human beings. And so when I viewed play as a child bringing me their story and what an honor that is for someone to bring me their story, I really, there's really no way mm-hmm. to not view kids as just these amazing humans that I, that I can learn from mm-hmm. in their stories too. So 
So yeah, I would say my initial play therapy training with experiential play really played mm-hmm. a huge role in that for me. Mm-hmm. And kind of opening that up. Or, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, destabilizing that idea of what is a child? What does it mean to be a child in play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in, in basic play therapy, you know, we have some of those basic principles of coming down to their level mm-hmm. and all of those different things. I know a lot of play therapists that I would probably say that that is maybe even a basic framework of all play therapy, Mm -hmm. Um, that children have an absolute place in this world Mm -hmm. that is no more or no less than the rest of us and that we should be treating them more equally in our interactions. Because while they might be lacking some of the adult forms of communication, they very much can tell us some very important things if we're willing to come to their place. So I wonder if there is sort of an umbrella definition that you use when you're describing play therapy. I think that one of the ways I think of play or when I'm introducing play to people, why why play, Chris? Like, why does my kid need play? Um, a lot of times I explain to people that play is a way that a child communicates. Mm-hmm. It's the primary way that they communicate. And so play therapy is just like we would maybe do talk therapy with an adult. It's just as important for us to be doing play with a child because that's how they're going to tell us what's going on in their world. Um, They're not going to use their words as readily as they might use their actions in their play. Mm -hmm. So I really just see play therapy as the way that we communicate with kids. And it can look a lot of different ways, too, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many different ways for people to do play. Um, And some might have strong opinions uh, for one way or another. But um, at the end of the day, if it's involving play, it's got to be helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's got to be better than just talking at a kid. Mm -hmm. Really, when they're a certain age, that's really all you're doing is talking at them. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And they are sponges. They will take it in. Um, but they really need that play to understand it further Mm -hmm. to be able to communicate back. One thing that was really transformational for me was what on its face is very simple, but really impacted the way that children would respond to me was, as you told me about this kind of a child does something and you say what they're doing. They Mm -hmm. say something and you say, here's what you said. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why that? Why? Why that? Oh, that is the beautiful skill and art of tracking. I call it Captain Obvious. (laughs) Just stating the obvious. I love to warn um, interns that are with me, uh, clinical trainees, and especially parents. I tell Mm -hmm. them, you're going to see me do this thing called tracking. I call it Captain Obvious. You're going to say, of course, Carissa, this kid just moved their truck across the room. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that have to do with anything? But tracking is huge. Tracking is um, what therapists use is unconditional positive regard. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's still there as a play therapist. But when we're tracking, what we're telling a kid is what you're doing and what you're showing me has value. And you have my full attention. Mm-hmm. Your worth and value is worth my full attention, and I mm-hmm. see you. It's essentially telling a kid, I see you when yeah. you track their play. And that alone, even if 
you know, parents can get tracking down um, is huge. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a large portion of the work that I do is tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's amazing how much that opens a kid up within minutes. They're yeah. just it's it's almost like within minutes you feel intuitively that connection that right. they know that they've been seen, and they're and they feel good about being seen. Mm-hmm. A memory is coming to mind when I was a little girl. I remember talking to my friend Megan McCrory. We were drawing pictures, and she said, "Watch this, Laura." And she drew just like scribbled something, right? Didn't even think about it, just scribbled it, and said, "Hey, mom, look at this." And her mom didn't look up and said, "Yeah, that's nice, Megan." And she's like, "She doesn't even look." And I remember thinking, like, oh. "Yeah." wow, maybe my mom's not always paying attention to me, right? This kind of uh, feeling of as a little kid, like, oh, they're not even watching. They're not even paying attention. They don't even. Right. Yeah. How dare they? They don't know what's important. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And so I think what a, what a, um, what a testament to children recognizing and noticing that mm-hmm. we're not always plugged in as mm-hmm. grown-ups. We're not always kind of um, paying full attention yes. and how good that does feel when yeah. somebody is really there with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is a little bit of that like lack of filter that kids have. I think yeah. that because they haven't experienced that thing that we start to get a lot more through childhood in our teenage years of a, I'm pretty sure I'm seeing this one thing, but everyone's telling me I'm not seeing that. Like, mom, you weren't even listening. I was totally listening. Right. You know, parents do that with probably the best of intentions. I yeah. know it's important for their kids to feel listened to. But when you are raw and unfiltered, I think you you can call it a, the truth out a little bit faster and easier. Kids are right. so intuitive. They know mm-hmm. when they're being attended to. Mm-hmm. I think even... Now, as we have smartphones that invade yeah. our life, and I say invade because really they are there way more than we need them to be. Yeah. And I don't say that to shame because I experienced the same thing at mm-hmm. home, especially right now during the pandemic. I can yeah. just scroll for way too long. Mm-hmm. But I think we're noticing that maybe more and more with kids, mm-hmm. um, that they they notice that their parents aren't noticing. Yeah. And that's that's something that we think that maybe they're missing, but they're not, they're mm-hmm. not missing. They're relational creatures. They're wired to be connected. Mm-hmm. So they can tell when a parent's disconnected. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned this, that this is, has been a research interest for you, trauma and creativity and how we can use creativity to mm-hmm. support trauma treatment. In, on the podcast and in the work that I do too, we talk a lot about how trauma is ubiquitous. And we were talking about this even before the pandemic, right? That trauma yeah. is everywhere. It's all around us. Um, it's in classrooms. Goodness knows. It's in families that we, um, families of origin. It's in our groups of friends. It's, it's all around us. Mm-hmm. And it affects all different facets of our lives, brain, body, spirituality, academics, professional life, right? On and on and on. Absolutely. I wondered a couple of things with regards to trauma and play therapy. Mm -hmm. One of those is in what ways does trauma show up in play? Trauma with play looks like a couple different things, Um, but it, 
I think most importantly, you if you sit and play enough, you go, it, it just feels off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of times we see in play for a kid who's experienced trauma is a very repetitive form of mm-hmm. play. It's repetitive. It's incredibly pressured. Um, pressure mm-hmm. is one way, I, especially for me, I feel that I can sense that trauma coming yeah. out in play is when there's a lot of pressure and anxiety build up behind mm-hmm. it. So if a kid is just so intense about it, um, or if a kid struggles to transition out of it and they're mm-hmm. pressured and let me just, let me just finish this one thing. Now that's right. always mean trauma. Um, but if we see that over time, that's one way that we know mm-hmm. that trauma is present. Um, we see it with spacing out during play. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, when a kid doesn't seem quite with it, with their play, they're not, they're not fully engaged. Um, when we see some of that flat affect or dysregulation, it can be a couple different things, but sometimes that's trauma. Often mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, and then also when we see kids not playing, that's actually mm-hmm. A larger concern for me than anything else yes. when I see a kid of a typical age not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma greatly affects a child's development. So if they've experienced trauma, especially in early childhood, um, before like the age of 13, 12, um, we just see a, a limited exploration of the space in general. They mm-hmm. don't have that confidence. Now, some of that's related to the effects of trauma on attachment. Mm-hmm. Um but when we don't see a kid exploring the world, then I think we can be pretty certain that that kid doesn't feel super safe in the world either. Right. Um, so it's funny because it kind of feels like it runs the whole gamut. The kid exploring their play or having, Im- it's basically imbalanced play, right? Either not really mm-hmm. exploring your play, you're zoned out during your play, or you're incredibly pressured and intense in your play and very mm-hmm. repetitive mm-hmm. as well. That's how we typically see trauma in play. Mm-hmm. One thing that came to mind while you were explaining some of the different ways that trauma shows up is I was thinking about anxiety and depression in kiddos, the ways that that can look different than it looks for um, older people. So I wondered if maybe you could speak a little bit to how that might look for a kid. Oh, okay. That's a good question. Um, So with kids, it can look a little bit more like easily irritated, mm-hmm. um, less distress tolerance, especially mm-hmm. in play. This is a time to enjoy yourself. But if something doesn't work out and you fall apart real yeah. fast and it's not because you're tired or hungry or some of those basic needs aren't being met, well, then we might want to ask what's going on. Is it mm-hmm. anxiety? Could it be depression? Sometimes right. they look similar. But we also might look at some of the play themes that we're seeing too. Are they trying to build mastery and it just seems like they're constantly failing? Mm. Um, Are they playing out some things that feel a bit dark and we can't explain it with television programs or something they've seen on YouTube? Mm -hmm. Um, Then we might might wonder about where's um, a child's headspace in Mm -hmm. all of this. Um, And in general, kids have um, a sense of wanting to be alive and have a sense of purpose. So if they seem a bit purposelessness or they seem a bit hopeless, not that different than adults. It just looks different because they're probably not playing as much. They withdraw more. They're less inclined to some social interaction too. Right. Yeah. And that's not, I mean, we have that difference between being being an introvert and extrovert and that, Mm -hmm. you know, 
that can develop younger, but it's just not as common to see kids withdraw from yeah. social interaction, I think. Yeah. In general. And then that second piece is, in what ways do you think that play therapy is uniquely suited to working with children who have experienced or survived trauma? Well, I mean, so kind of first off, that idea that play is how a child communicates, yeah, it just seems awfully silly to me to try to talk a kid through their trauma. Um, but also if we think about how trauma forms in our body and the somatic experiences, we often, in order to process and work through that trauma, those somatic experiences, they're sitting in our body. They're going to come back up. Play is one way to get that out. So we'll see a lot of um, information in play about somatic Mm re-experiencing. And play is one way for a child to get that out. It's no different than... um, if, a, if you see dogs playing in the dog park mm-hmm. and they've gotten into a real good wrestling match and it's maybe got a bit intense, once they walk away from each other, they kind of shake that off a little right. bit. And yeah. that's the same with kids and adults when they've experienced trauma and they're re-experiencing it in their body. They yeah. got to get that moved through their body. They got to shake it out. Yeah. And play is one way that they can do that. Um, also, play is so beautifully and, and really any creative modality is so beautifully uh, meant for treating trauma because what we experience, some of the things that happen to our brain Mm -hmm. when we experience trauma, um, play just seems to be just the right fit, those creative modalities for um, trying to heal or fix or repair some of that damage that happens to the brain. Mm -hmm. Specifically, when we've experienced, this is years ago that I heard about this, I think that we've Um, It was in my literature review, and I think we've since learned even more, but there's some damage or some lack of development in our corpus callosum. It's the white matter in between the two hemispheres of our brain. Mm -hmm. And so we develop as kids from a right right to left, so our right brain forms first, and that's our creative side of our brain. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the part of our brain that experiences the sensory pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when... When trauma occurs, that damage is most likely to occur on the right side of the brain Mm -hmm. because trauma is very much a somatic experience for everyone because that's part of the brain that's developing when those traumas are occurring. When we try to make sense of it and talk about it, we're using the left side of our brain and that's not where the trauma is stored. So Mm -hmm. to talk about the trauma over and over and over again, some sense might just re-traumatize a child. What we need to do is find a way to get those two sides of the brain talking so that Mm -hmm. that creative side of the brain that has experienced the trauma and where the trauma is stored Mm -hmm. can communicate with the left side of the brain, which helps with logic to help make sense of our trauma. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times that's why play is so beautifully suited for trauma treatment Mm -hmm. because it allows those two sides of the brain to activate and move back and forth and communicate more often, um, trying to repair or strengthen the areas of the corpus callosum that haven't been damaged or are developed so that our brains can do those higher process functioning pieces where we're, we're processing emotions at a higher level. Right. Yeah, so really kind of... I guess like meeting the trauma where it's at almost like yeah. 
that side of the brain. Exactly. So that we can process with mm-hmm. that side of the brain, with music or art or play, with, with creativity, with theater. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and honestly, if we think about the meeting someone where they're at, which is probably one of the best ways to approach any form of therapy mm-hmm. anywhere, it's kind of a basic principle for a lot of therapists, um, then it would only make sense, I guess, in my head to be meeting children with play because that's where they're at and that's how they're going to communicate. And we can't ask them to just go ahead and use that left brain. That's not fully developed um, to try to make sense of sense of their world and, and make sense of some, some really difficult and scary things. Right. And then I'm just thinking there's also just the added, um, the, the add on of somebody maybe very explicitly telling you, you can't talk about this, don't talk about this, uh, or otherwise silence surrounding that experience. Yes, which happens so often because a lot of times when a child's experienced trauma, so have their parents. And either they have also gone to a place of space out or disassociation so they can't be regulated and emotionally available to process that and make sense of it. Um, Or because sometimes our traumas are secretive right and that does all so much more damage and creates that whole shame piece too Mm -hmm. Um, but when when a child can't talk about it guarantee it's coming out in their play right you can't hold that in it's too much to ask of a child so Mm -hmm. um, even when traumas are secretive Mm -hmm. we still see unless we're seeing a limited play and a mm-hmm. lack of exploration, we're still going to see it come out. Right. It needs to. Right. So I have just a couple more questions, but I also wanted to offer space for this thesis that you wrote, right? Mm-hmm. This um, yeah. use of creativity to support trauma treatment. And I wondered if there were any takeaways from that that you really feel like um, it's important to share or that you were surprised by or struck by um, that are in addition to some of the things that you've already shared? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's been about seven years um, sure. since I started writing it, maybe six. And even the neurological research that I saw on play and creative interventions um, and the information about how trauma affects a child's brain, I was... I was just um, excited about and kind of entranced by the Mm -hmm. brain is just such a beautiful mystery to me. Right. The very little that we knew then Mm -hmm. um, I think has just increased when I think about that paper, it has increased my excitement for things like interpersonal neurobiology Mm -hmm. and the study of the brain with relationships as well. Mm. Um, But we've grown um, since that time of what sure. we even know about how play or how trauma affects a child's brain. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that that was a huge takeaway for me, yeah. um, that we even knew what we did then. And yeah. that was very little compared to what we know now, which is exciting. I love research. I love yeah. that we have researchers out there who are working hard to learn more. Um, and especially within play, it's sometimes so hard to quantify and mm-hmm. measure why this works and how this works. Mm-hmm. So researchers who stick with play therapy, I'm amazed by because I think that that's a 
a really tough one. Yeah. To do too. And in terms of other takeaways, I think just really, I think that probably played maybe even a role in, in that process of um, recognizing that, that kids are unique individuals yeah. who need something different. Um, and that, that, that doesn't mean it's less than, yeah. um, it, I think it, it probably solidified for me some of that basic, um, foundation that we were talking about before of how we treat kids and how we honor them. Right. Recognizing that play is just such a huge part and creative interventions are such a huge part. And really it just solidified for me, um, the two parts of myself, the very creative part of me, and then the part of me that really wants to help people. Yeah. When I was younger, I felt like those two things, I couldn't find a way to marry them and put them together mm-hmm. um, hand in hand. And so reading about this and studying it and recognizing that we can help someone who's experienced just probably some of and I'm not saying that people who haven't experienced trauma haven't had a hard life. I would love to meet someone who hasn't actually experienced trauma. Right. Um, but I think that knowing how hard trauma can be to treat and how mm-hmm. kind of insidious it can be inside of us. Yeah. It's just really great how um, play and creative interventions can play a role in in the helping profession. Right. Um, so it's so it's it's just really cool for me as a person. It feels mm-hmm. like it it marries those two parts of myself yeah. that are both both vitally important to me, helping people, nurturing them, nurturing relationships, and then also being creative. Yeah. Can't I can't really do one without the other. Absolutely. Completely. I I very much relate to that. Yeah. This feeling of, I I always hated it when I would be at work and I would talk about being a musician and people would be like, Oh, I had no idea you were a musician. I never wanted that to happen. I never wanted somebody to look at me in one place and think it's not possible that she could also exist in this space. Like Mm -hmm. I want to bring my whole self as best I can uh, to every interaction that I have. And I'm, I'm both those things. I, I, I think it's really important that I get to be self-actualized in yes. many places in my life as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that probably being a play therapist is one of the best burnout preventions for me. Sure. Because there are days it's really hard for me to be a therapist and an artist. And if I did straight talk therapy, mm-hmm. it would be even more important I mean, with all my roles, because I'm just giving you two of those roles. But like I said at the beginning, I got a whole lot of other roles going on there. Mm -hmm. And for me to be able to be creative within my therapy role is important because I recognize that sometimes it's very hard for me to also then create art Mm -hmm. um, in those moments when I'm running around like crazy and doing the mom thing too. It kind of just fills my creative bucket to do play throughout the day as well, I guess. Mm -hmm. I had to talk all day long. I don't know how well I do. (laughs) I really, I genuinely enjoy playing with kids too. Yeah. It's very rarely a moment where I'm like, oh, here we go. We're going to play. (laughs) It's like, all right, here we go. I had to talk for the last two hours. Let's do this. (laughs) Let's go have fun. Yeah. And this transitions really nicely into one of the last questions, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, that 
so many people are working remotely or uh, at least having virtual meetings that would have been in person otherwise, whether those are sessions with clients or conversations with our friends or our family members, things are different. And it's difficult to feel as though we're remaining connected and grounded in a moment with so much collective trauma uh, that can make individual trauma feel a lot more close to the surface, a lot closer to the surface, maybe. Absolutely. Before. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered for you, what has remaining connected, remaining balanced, what has that looked like? Perhaps it has to do with art making. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, it also has to do with, it's so funny that you said that grounding piece. So typically when I'm playing in a room with a kid, I feel for the most part, unless the trauma is pretty big, um, just like any other therapist, I do have to check myself and make sure that I'm staying grounded throughout my session. Yeah. But a lot of times I'm on the floor and I am down right there with them. And so I tend to feel pretty grounded in those moments because I'm on the ground. I might not be in the grass, which I know is my preferred method, my most basic method for grounding. Um, But I feel more grounded in the sensory experiences that come up in play. So I've, I've recognized that even in virtual play or trying to pull play into my sessions virtually, Mm -hmm. it does feel different. Um, especially if I am not on the ground or if I'm not, I'm not using the toys and I'm just watching and tracking. Um, so I have found that I actually have to do maybe some more adult things to ground myself sure. instead of playing. Uh, Cause my kids are not at that age where they play necessarily with me anymore. Although yeah. I think one of them wants me to learn the walk dance. So, <laughs> um, but a lot of the times it includes exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that I got off the exercise train for the last week and I'm off. Yeah. Totally off. So exercise has been a huge thing. I have to make that a daily piece of my life. Um, and even if that includes just a simple walk, that's yeah. good enough. Um, I've also found that I continue to need growth Mm-hmm. Um, I have to, I feel like I have to be pursuing it more intentionally right now sure. than ever before to feel like, um, there's space for movement in my life. Yeah. Um, because I think when we are experiencing this collective trauma, we can feel really stuck. So mm-hmm. that means listening to podcasts mm-hmm. and stretching my mind about things um, learning more and more about myself has been really important. I've been recently getting into learning about the Enneagram thanks to a podcast from Brene Brown. And that's yeah. just been really cool for me. Um, and then, yeah, being creative. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm probably not painting as much as I could be. Yeah. Um, but I am enjoying watching my kids paint when they do. They actually yeah. tend to paint a little more often than I do. They seem to need that more right now. Um, And a lot of my creativity has been maybe a little more passive, such Mm -hmm. as reading. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have found that I need to stay connected to people. So I'm doing a lot of um, Marco Polo apps Mm -hmm. um, where we can talk, but we don't have to both be in real time at the same time. Right. Um, That's been really helpful for me. Uh, I didn't realize how helpful it would be. And it's a kind of a constant thing. I have these 
constant rolling conversations with my colleagues or some close friends yeah. that um, just, they really help me just continually process throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be able to pop in to yeah. a colleague's office right. to just say, let me just plop this right here is usually the words I use. Let me right. just get rid of this for a minute or let me yeah. just process this with you. And, um, and now we do it through Marco Polo. Now mm-hmm. we use technology, right? And we also got a local dog park that's mm. close to our home. And that's been pretty cool. Um, yeah. Watching watching dogs play, um, being around people who also love dogs. Yeah. Um, between my partner and I, we don't have shared children biologically. Yeah. Our dog is definitely our kid. Yeah. And so kind of cultivating that connection with, mm-hmm. th- with each other through our dog has been helpful um, yeah. during this time as well. So like you said, kind of more traditionally thought of as creative things, but then also thinking create creatively about creativity and thinking yes. about, yeah, what are some other ways that I am able to um, remain connected and ground and bring my full self to my experiences? Yes, absolutely. And I think some of that plays a role in... I, it's funny because I haven't really thought about it until now that a lot of the creative endeavors I'm doing right now do feel a little bit more passive. It's not necessarily that I'm creating, but that I'm standing in awe of and honored by the creativity of others lately. Um, Which if you've ever been in an art studio um, at a university or just within a community setting, Mm -hmm. that's like, that sometimes is the... um, Mm very necessary. Yeah. I don't know. I would call it maybe like the oil in the engine. It's the thing that keeps the rest of the creativity moving is to be able to witness and be in awe of someone else's creativity. Yeah. And it always sparks more for each of us mm-hmm. every day. So while I might be spending more time reading, it's in those moments that I'm reading all of a sudden, I'm starting to think creatively about how I might want to do life differently right? because this pandemic is providing some opportunities for us to shift and change Mm -hmm. um, some of our trajectories. And I've noticed that it's actually gotten me a little bit more on fire for Mm -hmm. play therapy, but maybe in some different ways than I have in the past. Yeah. Um, Advocating maybe a little bit more in different ways for kids and for the use of play therapy um, in practice. And even though I, you know, I look at the virtual playrooms of others and I might feel envious that they're doing that work. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm doing a lot of foundational brain work for myself right now to hopefully move into some places that mm-hmm. will be really exciting in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of thinking planfully, um, imagining things. Yes. And we don't always have the time to imagine yeah. when we're running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. physically and from place to place. Absolutely. And that is imagination's been a thing that has carried me throughout most of my life. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of my childhood in imagination. Yeah. Um, and so being able to reconnect and embrace it, I think sometimes mm-hmm. as an adult, I haven't always embraced my imagination beyond play therapy mm-hmm. um, because that is also the things that cause me to maybe not meet deadlines or get a little bit off track. And um, like my mother used to say, those are the little bits of ADHD I might have. (laughs) Sure. 
but I would disagree that it's actually probably just um, um, an imagination that was cultivated for some really good reasons in my childhood that has actually carried me through Mm -hmm. so many things. And it's just been really nice to reconnect with that imagination without a sense of shame. Yeah. Without a sense of like, you should be doing something else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about reading too as imagination, like imagining that world, imagining maybe those characters, if you're reading fiction, you know, kind of offering yourself that opportunity to kind of play in your mind a little bit and feel like you're achieving something because you're Mm -hmm. making progress in the book. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even just making progress in the way you think about the world or yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Expands our minds. Even just the way people write a sentence, put a sentence together, might mm-hmm. be a new way of describing something. Yeah. A slightly different way of, of, yeah. of talking about a theme that we're familiar with that yep. might open up some doors that we wouldn't have opened without that yeah. that particular way. of Yes. And that's been a really big thing. I can't tell you how many times I've stopped and reread even just a single sentence. Yeah. Oh, that that speaks to all of this or this covers thing over here that I had some words for, but now I have more fuller Mm -hmm. sense of words. Also when someone's writing and then we read it, it connects us to them as well. Mm -hmm. There's that relational piece that comes with book reading as well. And everybody else has read it. Yeah. Sort of invisible community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just really cool to see. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you again. I, there's one question I like to end with, with guests, and that is, what's one thing that someone could do right now to feel more grounded or centered or help them through an intense, maybe difficult emotion? Breath is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. In whatever form you need that to be, whether it's stopping, pausing, and breathing, or if it's um, becoming just more attentive to it. Breath is my immediate go-to when I need to ground and is usually the first place I realize I might have a deficit when I am feeling ungrounded or triggered or stressed out. So pausing to breathe is huge. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Thanks so much for being a part of this conversation. Creativity is such a big part of who we are, and I don't think we get as many opportunities to talk about it as we ought to. I don't think so. And it should be a more inclusive part of our world because it is such a huge part of who we are. It really is when we allow ourselves to take the time to pay attention to it Mm -hmm. and be intentional about it. Thanks for listening. This has been starting to feel better. We hope that you'll join us next time for another conversation with a fascinating, creative, incredible guest.